and this is Renters Matter. Uh, I'm looking at home prices today because I've really been thinking about how we keep more people who want to be in Cambridge here long term. What do we do? What do we do in order to help people uh, do that? And and having spent the last uh, the last couple of weeks of my life browsing the Zillow market, um, after amusingly after reading an article about how millennials browse Zillow uh, with the realization that they will never be able to actually afford housing, I decided to jump whole hog into the stereotype um, and have spent the past several weeks aggressively looking at housing around the Boston area. And I say around the Boston area because, you know, if you set an upper cap of $800,000 on your home price that you're willing to pay, you will find out that pretty much you can't buy anything uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, there's a few spots that are available at $700,000, but pretty much nothing less than that. And uh, the, the phrase that I have learned to both... Um, be amused by and avoid is the contractor special, uh, aka we have torn out the electricity and the plumbing in this house thinking we were going to do something with it and then ran out of money. Uh, we need to flip this house in a hurry. Please buy it. Also, um, the roof is leaking, you know, so <laughs> it's, been, it's been interesting to look around and see what prices are in different parts of town. Uh, one of the interesting things that this did actually bring me back to is realizing that when I had looked at rents and realized that, you know, being able to move and rent somewhere else in Cambridge is probably out of my price range, uh, or at least the price that I, I would reasonably want to pay. Um, I've, I've been struggling uh, and kind of forgot that areas that aren't Cambridge exist when renting. Um, so, you know, maybe I'll be able to stay in the Boston area somewhere, um, or maybe I'll just give up and move to Pittsburgh, you know, if you're, if you're, the rent's cheap there for now. Um, so overall, uh, it's been an, an interesting week. Uh, in in national housing news, uh, California's SB 50, the bill to uh, create more homes in California, um, got a vote today. It has to pass this week in order to move on. Uh, it got a vote today, and it is um, 18 yeses and 16 noes, uh, I believe is the number, or 18 yeses and 15 noes. 18 yeses and 15 noes, uh, which is um, unfortunately not enough to pass. Uh, I think the problem here is that um, there are actually four Democrats who have decided to abstain. Uh, this can be brought back um, today, like tomorrow, uh, in order to be voted on again before the weekend. Otherwise, it dies this year. I don't know. Um, and, and listening to the arguments there uh, about this SB 50, this bill to create more homes, it's many of the same arguments that we hear uh, throughout the Boston region and especially in Cambridge. You know, this is a good bill, but it's not ready yet, uh, despite the fact that they've spent more than a year working with tenant groups and all these other groups. This is, you know, we really need to make sure we have the, the right bill, that we need to do this right. Um, I did like that... Uh, <laughs> There was there was someone earlier today. So the the Yimby movement has been sufficiently successful that taking the framing of yes in my backyard uh, and doing something different with it uh, is is really powerful for people. Um, and so one of the senators who spoke out against SB fifty today said um, yes in the right backyard, uh, which is not actually different than not in my backyard. Like that is the whole point of this argument is that you don't want it here. You want it in the right backyard and the right backyard is over there. So like you're, you're, you're a caricature of your, yourself. 
Um, or the person who says, we can't, we can't pass this bill. Uh, it doesn't explicitly exclude all um, wildlife urban interface zones. Uh, and so people will build more homes in these areas. And it's like, yeah, but here's the thing. They're already building the homes there. And they don't really want to be building the homes there. They're doing that because that's the only place they can build the homes. Like, you have created this monster and you're unwilling to do anything about it for fear that it will create more homes in the, the urban areas. But, like... It's it's about things near transit. Like it's about allowing more homes near transit. It's uh, like you, the reason people make homes in bad places is because they can't make them in good places, not because they love houses that burn down every two years. Like if you offered people an ability to live for the same cost in a place that wasn't going to catch on fire, they would probably take it. Like if you come to me and say like, I have two houses for you, they cost the same amount. One will catch on fire in the next two years, one will not. Which one would you like? I'm gonna pick the not fire one. I don't know about you. <sighs> the arguments are exhausting. And they're the same arguments everywhere. You're not thinking enough about, you know, the, the environment. You're not thinking enough about gentrification. There isn't enough money in here for affordable housing. Yes, yes, you're right. All of those things are true. Like, we cannot solve every single problem with one bill, but we also can't solve every single problem at once. Like, we're not even solving any of the problems now. We're not doing any of that. We're just doing nothing. Like, your choices here are do something or nothing. You have not introduced a bill to do something different. You have not introduced a suggestion change. You have not introduced anything to say, I want to spend a trillion dollars on, on, on housing. Like, if you want to do that, great, do it. Where is it? Where is your effort on this? Where is your leadership on this? And, and there are some people in, in, in the community in California who are genuinely actively, you know, concerned and working with, you know, local activists, local, local advocates for um, anti-gentrification work. I, I don't, I don't want to get in the way of the very real concerns that exist around creating more housing in California, in Cambridge, everywhere. If real, real actual concerns exist about how are we going to make sure that if we increase development, that we're going to do so in a way that does not make the problem in the short term worse. It's a real concern. It's a real concern I have in Cambridge. How do I make sure that the things I advocate for are going to push for the right things to happen? But so many of those same talking points are co-opted by the people who say, well, what about the wildlife zone, or sorry, the, the wildfire zones? What about, you know, these, these things? And it's, it's draining, it's draining. It's draining to go around and say, like, I am doing my best here. I believe that I'm doing my best here. And, and I think the affordable housing overlay in Cambridge was, was an example of that, right? Like, one of the counselors in Cambridge attempted to introduce anti-displacement anti for affordable-only housing that if a single-family homeowner sold their house to an affordable housing developer that they had to permanently offer that single family homeowner and a unit that is available in that same property for at affordable rates. And it's like, it's, it's the whole, like it goes, it goes beyond the pale on, on some of these things. And so SB 50 already has like, if there's been an eviction, in the past seven years, or if there's been anyone who's rented on the property at all in the past three years, uh, if there's been any, like, demo, like all of these things, like, you cannot get permits to use SB 50 in these cases, and it's still not enough, because it's never enough, because there is no perfect. 
because everything we do is going to have trade-offs and the longer we wait, the worse the trade-offs will be. It's why Portland and Minneapolis were able to be successful in their efforts to eliminate single-family zoning and single-family, you know, stuff like that. And, and it's been harder in other places is because they're not as far down the pit as we are. <sighs> it's sad. It's sad. It's sad that it didn't pass. It, and maybe it'll still pass. You know, there's still a possibility, but, um, you know, it's sad it didn't pass. Uh, uh, so Cambridge City Council this week. Um, a couple of things that are interesting to kind of the more younger and renter crowd among us. Uh, one of them is an order for the city manager to study the feasibility of free transit on the number one bus route. Um, free transit, meaning, you know, uh, some of the things that you would gain from that. All door boarding would be something you would get out of that. Uh, the number of times that I have stood on a bus has all the people kind of trail in the front, uh, you know, that this is the huge, huge potential time savings there. Uh, of course, um, the, the number one bus and, and the bus system in general uh, tends to be used by lower income families. Uh, so you're, you're or lower income residents. Um, so you're going to be, you know, having an economic justice argument. And of course, for some people, uh, making the bus free means that, you know, reducing the marginal cost of, of using the bus to zero is probably going to move some people out of cars onto buses. Uh, and, and I think that that's really um, a, a positive step in our goals of reducing traffic congestion, of reducing climate change, uh, by reducing single occupancy vehicle trips, um, and reducing vehicle miles traveled. So uh, really, really hoping that that order actually goes somewhere, which I think it is unlikely to, because I don't really have a lot of faith in our city manager, but uh, whatever. Um, the uh, uh, tree cutting moratorium being extended until the end of the year, is something that came back up. Um, it was passed to a second reading with a vote of seven to two. Uh, so I expect that to pass in two weeks. Um, yeah. Sorry. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm skimming over my notes here to think of, of things to talk about. Uh, so the tree cutting moratorium, uh, the natural gas ban that has been bandied about. So several towns around the country, uh, Brookline and Berkeley, California, being two among them, uh, have instituted natural gas bans in new buildings, meaning that new buildings cannot, uh, with some exceptions, hook up new natural gas appliances. So you can't have a furnace or water heater or stove or whatever that are that are natural gas. You have to use um, you know ground source heat pumps. You have to use uh, in you know induction stoves or all all these other things, right? So um, uh, and Cambridge has been considering one of these for a while. Uh, it's kind of coming back up and out of out of committee. Um, the the natural gas ban being you know if you were gonna take two cities. And that, that are like emblematic of the idea of using every tool in your toolbox to prevent new housing from being built. I think that if you asked historians to, to say, well, which two cities would you pick? Like, like, just pick two. Like, sorry, just two cities. Brookline and Berkeley are probably both 
on the top five list of pretty much every historian. Because because Brookline like refused to be annexed by Boston almost specifically, like almost exclusively, to keep its ability to to stop development. Like that was like that was a key factor in it. Now Brookline obviously is a community and obviously Brookline is a community that has a strong cultural backing um, as the historical you know, center of, of the Jewish community in the Boston area. There's lots of reasons why like being being separate is, is something that might be of interest, uh, but there's a lot to be said for the way that Brookline and Boston are different uh, once you cross that line is that Boston builds new houses and Brookline very much does not. Uh, and Berkeley has had, you know, advocates who have been fighting against housing since the 60s and the 70s. Like, they do not want more people. So taking these two cities as a model, which everyone's like, oh, look, they're so, like, they're so climate-focused and climate-first and everything else like that. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, they are, stop building first, and we can look good on climate, so this will actually pass. Like, this is, this is not, you know, uh, some, some magical, mystical whatever uh, there's a very strong, a very strong intent of what they're doing here um, that, that, that is playing a role. <laughs> um, and so Cambridge uh, is deciding to follow in their footsteps, of course. Uh, you know, I, you know, I'm snarky, but it's just so exhausting. So exhausting figuring out like motivations for people and all this other stuff. Uh, and so, you know, um, but that particular natural gas ban, moratorium, ordinance, whatever language uh, has been actually tabled for the time being. Um, the mayor has been asked to organize a roundtable or a meeting of stakeholders to discuss this uh, and try and find ways to um, move forward effectively to make sure that everyone's voice is being heard. You know, we're moving forward pretty quickly relative to some of these other towns on this issue. And I think that there are genuine things that, that make this more difficult. For example, emergency backup systems in large buildings are oftentimes powered by natural gas, that the like emergency lighting and, and other things like that are, are things that are powered um, by natural gas. And there's no really good backup for that because if the electricity is out, there's like electricity doesn't, there's nothing else that you can, you can do. Like there's nothing, no other like power source you can pull from other than having you know, generate whatever, something like that. This is what I've read. I don't know this shit as much, but this is something that I've read. Um, and then of course, like uh, uh, like home heat, heat source water pumps, or not heat source water pumps, uh, ground source heat pumps are both um, less expensive and more efficient and are generally good for the world and blah, blah, blah. And those, like no one's arguing that uh, aggressively, but um, hot water is much more difficult. The technology is not as mature. Uh, and, and there's real, real problems with that aspect of it, um, for cost and everything else. So, so it's really, um, you know, I think, I think it's really worth having a little bit more of a conversation to talk about what is our goal? What are we trying to do? Are we going to have effective means for people to achieve the goals that they have? What's the cost going to be? Should the city be funding some of that cost? You know, all of these things, because realistically, like Cambridge still has buildings that are powered with but like heated by oil heat like like we have things we should be fixing uh and spending money to support and help fix uh and banning natural gas in new buildings when we don't even have new residential buildings is kind of like what do you, what i don't like we've got so many things like is this really the top priority list like especially once you build to like you know the modern uh, environmental standards and passive house standards and other things like that like making environmentally sustainable houses 
way up there on the list. Like we should be working on that. And I and I pushed that the city should be even more aggressive in its recent green ordinance updates than it than it had been um, to try and push this forward more. That you know gold and instead of gold and silver, it should be you know platinum and gold or whatever. Um, and and couldn't get really any uptake from the council on that. But we're gonna ban natural gas. Which, you know, if you don't have good connections to the electrical grid, if you don't have the tools to replace some of these things, it becomes a huge problem. Uh, the city's cannabis ordinance, uh, which had established that there would be a two-year moratorium on uh, non-equity applicants uh, getting permits to sell recreational marijuana in, in Cambridge, uh, has sadly been challenged successfully in court. Uh, so one of the the people who, um, one of the, the medical dispensaries here said, look, Cambridge, you can't make this rule. We, we it's, it's against the law. Uh, the court agreed with them. So now they are um, gonna have to go through that. I don't know when this means I'll actually be able to buy pot in Cambridge at this point, like who knows. Uh, but, but in any case, that is an ongoing saga that I mostly just am like, you know, this is dumb. Like I, I, I do, I do respect, I do respect the desire to reward equity applicants. I absolutely believe that as we, you know, expand, um, and move into the selling of recreational marijuana, the fact that so many people who have suffered for so long under the, you know, the, the mess of the remnants of the drug war, that these underserved communities that have suffered from the drug war should ideally be given a chance to, you know, get a leg up. The reality is that I don't really believe that that's what's happening. I believe that almost all of these businesses are funded by big money interest behind the scenes. I don't really believe that we have the ability to police that. And, and I just simply um, can't think that, that we're gonna have a chance to influence that. At, at which point I'm just like, maybe we should just, you know, start selling this, collect the tax revenue and actually do some good with it rather than have these fights that last for years, like while Brookline continues to rake in all of the revenue from the entire Boston metro area. Uh, and, and, and we get, we get none of that, um, under the idea that we're going to help an equity applicant that are we really even going to be able to, to, to do, is that going to help the, you know, whatever. So it's a long debate. Um, was a real mess at the end of last council term before the election uh, and and was really disappointing. <sighs> a lot of disappointment for me today, I guess. Uh, uh, this is what I get for looking at Zillow, right? Like looking at $1.3 million houses uh, is really is really telling in insofar as, you know, seeing what, what you can get uh, for those kind of prices is just, it's just really kind of like, ugh, you know, great, a three bedroom for 1.3 million uh, with an average rent payment of, you know, $7,500 per month. Like that's, that's not going to work for me. Like I cannot, I cannot afford that. I don't know who can afford that. Um, and, and it really feels like, you know, just give up, give up, go somewhere else. Like you, the, Cambridge is not for you. You don't want to live here. You want to go somewhere else, um, which a lot of Cambridge residents would say as well. Uh, I, I recently um, attended the Cambridge Port Neighborhood Association meeting uh, just last night and was excited to see the River Street Reconstruction Project appears to have gone with a design that will actually have a bus lane all the way up River Street from the river all the way up through to Mass Ave, which I'm super psyched about. Uh, 
I believe the bustling should be everywhere. Um, but the more important thing that I've psyched about, uh, beyond the idea that this like major route through our town, it's truck route, it's all these other things, um, is going to have a bustling, which I think sends a really good precedent, even if the bus traffic on that route right now is maybe not as you know widely used or whatever else. Um, but redoing the Central Square intersection is much, much more you know, important to me. The combination of the busway and the layovers and the routing and the multiple combinations, the just right turns, straights, and all, it's a, it's a disaster. It's just the whole intersection is a nightmare. And, and the idea that they're going to take a chance and really kind of redo that, really think about how the buses are going through there, really think about how the traffic is flowing through there, it just, it makes my, my little heart, you know, beat, beat more quickly. Um, to think that maybe this is something that we could really redo because I, I mean it's scary as a pedestrian it's 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 the roads wide and then it's narrow and there's all this stuff and the lights are all weird like I just want a much more calm environment uh, and I'm really hoping that with a little bit of redesign um, that they can do that that the buses can have space to be that we don't have this weird busway island thing that just always feels like a, a an accident waiting to happen um, and really redesign that so I'm really excited about that uh, the um, developer the landlord at 544 mass ave or the developer builder whatever at 544 mass ave uh who's making a proposal for 24 micro units came out and talked a little bit about their you know their project and what they're doing and why they're doing it and why the you know some of the decisions they've had to make and and what concerns people have had and and what they're going to do uh you know, it was, it was, it was interesting to hear that it was a little bit awkward when in the Q and a section. So one of the, one of the tenants that's currently in that building is uh, a dance studio. So it's right next to the tall building, which is a dance complex and um, 540 studio or 544 studio, something like that uh, is a nonprofit um, uh, arts organization that has the dance studio space there. And, and um you know, I think the landlord basically established that that given that we're going to be redeveloping this whole this whole building to add these more homes, that it will no longer be cost effective for us to have a dance studio have the space. Um, that that they would not be able to pay. They're able to be there now because the building has been there and largely untouched and is in a weird state where they cannot like whatever. And so they have what are effectively below market rate rents for the square footage that they have, which is great up until it's not. <laughs> and so if you're dependent, if you're, if you're, if your you know, business or your industry or your, you know, your physical space is dependent on paying below market rate rents, then when those rents have to go up to accommodate for redevelopment, when those rents have to change to, in order to, you know, have um, a new, a new building there, or when it's sold and the property owner like sells that property uh, in order to, cash out, whatever else like that, those rents are going to go up. And if you're dependent on those below market rate rents, you're going to get screwed. Uh, I don't love that. In fact, I hate it. I hate that people get screwed. I don't want anybody to get screwed. Uh, I hate that. Um, but but the financial realities of the situation is that, that the real problem is that the market rate rents make almost, uh, make many things, whether it's, you know, low-income families living in Cambridge, whether it's nonprofit dance studios uh, having a space to be in Central Square, whether it's, you know, music venues that, that don't bring in the revenue that, you know, another bar or office space or whatever else does, like all of those things contribute to a situation where when the rents go up, the tenants leave. 
And, you know, we, we, we see this all the time. We see this and this is, this is you know, I, I go to people all the time and they said, they're like, well, you know, the, 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 the new landlords really being, you know, like a, like a hard ass on this. Like they're, they're asking for all this money and, and whatever. And it's like, yeah, but here's the thing. Like if you do the math, the real reason the landlord is in a position where they have to do that is that in order to cover their costs, because they just bought this property, that they have to increase how much they're charging. Well, why, why could the old landlord do that? Well, the old landlord who bought in 1957 or whatever else like that was able to keep rents low because they paid off the building 30 years ago and they bought it for a tenth of the price it's at now anyway. Like they, they never had to pay uh, to pay the, the real full market price of the price that it is now. They never had to deal with that because they bought before the market did what it did. And so so when you when you take those things, what it means is that that the money that is being charged in rent, the thing that is required of these new build, buildings when, when new landlords come in and everything else like that, the reason that they have to do that is because the previous owner, they cashed out. They got rich, right? Like they bought this building for a million bucks back in who knows when, and now they sold it for 50 million in God knows when, uh, and, and, or in like the last three months or whatever. And suddenly like, okay, cool. Except all that money you cashed out of here, all that $50 million you took largely from increased ground rents that are caused by the increased activity in the city that we live in, in the demand that has existed because of the community that you're a part of, like all of that money that you cashed out with now has to like, is coming out of the pockets of the tenants who had been renting under market rate from you for forever. And so like you're, taking advantage of this increase in, in capital investment and capital demand and desire ability and all this other stuff. But, but it's not like you magically did all that. It's like you're taking advantage of something that was built for you by the community around you. And, and you're like, yeah, that's cool. I'm going to walk away with my 30 million though. So like, whatever, like, I don't care. Um, and so the new landlord, you know, sure. Like there's lots of like having a landlord come in who looks at a building full of, you know, the full of tenants is like, you know what, I'm going to buy that. And I'm just going to raise jack up all their rents or I'm going to kick them out and get like all this other stuff. Like, that's not great. I don't love it. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it should be a supportable business model. I, I really think that making people suffer for their shelter is a bad idea, but I do actually think that some people think that the landlords are getting rich off of this. And the reality is that a lot of times you do the math and you're like, no, they're, breaking even uh with the hope that they get you know money 10 years down the line and and the, the reality is the person who got rich off of it they're gone like they sold out they booked town they're in florida now and and the level to which that's true uh and the blame falls on these like capital partners or like other things like that it's like oh man, i get where you're coming from but but really i'm really angry at the person who cashed out <laughs> Like they're, they're the ones who took the money for the community built up for them and ran. Um, I don't know. Uh, anyway, I'll never be able to afford a house in Cambridge. That kind of sucks. Never be able to afford a condo in Cambridge. That kind of sucks. Uh, but I guess I'm in the same boat as pretty much 99% of us. So, you know, this is Renters Matter. I'm Chris Schmidt and see you next week.